Leviticus chapter 9. I want to mention that uh, tomorrow we have an adult dinner night out at the waterfront. We're going to be meeting at 6 p.m. There's a sign-up sheet on the bulletin board out there. And so put your name down if you'd like to join us. And uh, I'll be making the reservations tomorrow morning. And also we have a men's and women's retreat coming up. And it's going to be special. I mean, the Lord really put this on my heart uh, to set up. And uh, we went, we made arrangements, we went to the retreat center. It's a beautiful place, a place of solitude. And um, so the women are going to be meeting in September and the men in October, I think two weeks later. And so think about it, ladies and guys. It's really going to be worth coming. It doesn't take any time from work. It starts at 5 o'clock Friday. We're done by noon Saturday. So if you can get there, it's going to be a chance to really be ministered to. And I believe the Holy Spirit is going to meet us in a powerful way. So I'd encourage you to try to come. And um, also, um, we have the, uh, in September, we have the uh, pastor's conference coming up. It's going to be really good. We have John Randall, Joe Foch, and some others um, that are going to be there. So... I'll be putting flyers out and also a sign-up sheet. You don't have to sign up to go. You send a flyer and you take care of your registration yourself. But I have a sign-up sheet for the motel because I get special rates for us as a group. And it's that one holiday and expressed right down from the church. So uh, that's coming up as well. So anyway, if you'd open your Bibles along with me to Leviticus chapter 9. And we're actually going to be covering the whole chapter. And the reason for that is, is that much of what we study what we've been studying in Leviticus is repetitious, repetitious, repetitious. And I think all of us by now know about the fatty lobes, you know, and and, uh, the kidneys and all that. But anyway, uh, it's interesting because in the midst of those repetitious um, things that they speak of that are sacrificed to God are great truths for the church. And so that's the reason even books like Leviticus, we dig into them. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and I pray for your anointing, that what I share would not be my words, but yours, and what I share would be able to minister to and encourage each one who's here. Father, I pray that we would just get a grasp of what it means to worship you and to be a believer. And so, Father, come by your Holy Spirit and anoint and use me to minister to these your precious people, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know... One of the things that we have to understand is that our faith is not a religion. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. It's in a person. And the fact is that we have an intimate relationship with him. And through that intimate relationship with him, he has explained to us why he created man, how man fell, and how he would redeem man back to himself for the very purpose of having fellowship with him in heaven for all eternity. And so we have to realize our religion isn't just based on some man-made philosophy. We don't worship a man. We worship a God, Yahweh, Jehovah. And the reality is that his desire is to be in intimate fellowship with us while we walk this earth, that we might be able to take his message of salvation to everyone we come in contact with. And the promise, we're going to be taken into heaven. And the thing that's interesting is that through prophecy, God has warned us over and over that in the last days, things would become worse and worse 
and worse. You know, we all know about those horrible shootings that took place in, in uh, um, Texas and also in Ohio and, um, you know, other places. And we also know about, um, you know, just the, the absolute atrocity and the Holocaust of abortion. And we also are aware of so many things happening around this world that is just showing the, de- the decay of mankind. Because understand this. God doesn't just pour his judgment out on the world for no reason. He pours his judgment out because of how debased man will become on this earth. But God in his supreme love has given the promise that before he pours out his wrath, he will take his church out of the world. Scripture says he has not appointed us unto wrath, but unto salvation. We're going to be taken out of the world to be up with Jesus and, and, you know, in heaven. And then we'll be coming back with him and reign with him on earth for a thousand years before he establishes his new heaven and his new earth. So God has laid the whole plan out for us. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't a story. This is reality. Scripture tells us that this is more real than visible, tangible things we can see. That's what Scripture says, and it's a fact. And so we're living in those days when we should be so keenly aware of the nearness of his return. And I was sharing in the first service, I'm, I'm not sure how many people were you know, aware of this, but in Russia they had some kind of a, a, a nuclear blast, some kind of a accident, and it sounds very similar to Chernobyl, and remember how they tried to cover that up. And uh, so that's pretty crazy. And then in London they had a, a blackout that crippled the whole that whole part of the country. And so things are getting crazy. I mean, electronics and, and, all, and all this electronic age is wonderful in so many ways, but do you realize how dependent we are upon it? If electricity went down, and if the communication towers went down, what would we do? It, it would be absolute chaos. But the fact is, Jesus has promised to take us out of this world before his wrath, before his judgment falls upon mankind. And so when we read portions like this, it, it demonstrates that right from the beginning, God was laying out his mercy to mankind. Because Leviticus, even though science seems to be kind of a boring book and the same things we're reading over and over again, it's all about God's love and mercy. What are the purposes of these sacrifices? That your sin might be forgiven? That you might be consecrated? and you might have peace with God. That's what it's all about. I mean, what a, what a book of love. Because here you have a rebellious mankind, and the Lord is providing a way out. And one of the things I think sometimes we forget is that we think that in this multitude that we're reading about here in Leviticus, the first in Exodus and Leviticus, were just Jews. Well, probably the majority were, but they weren't just Jews. There was a mixed multitude that went out with the Jews. So there were quite a few people that weren't Jewish that were in this group. And I think that was the way the Lord was showing us that then there would be a time that the ministry would go to the Gentiles. And uh, God is so good, and his word is so awesome. In fact, you can be praying for Vi and I. Um, I started three years ago, but... I finished a book on Revelation, 
And the whole idea of the book on Revelation isn't that the book itself would be so profound and, 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 and everything. It's really to show how easy it is to read Revelation because it's the only book of the Bible where you're promised a blessing if you read it, you're promised a blessing if you hear it, and promised a blessing if you study it. And it's probably the one book of the Bible that people avoid. And so the idea of this book that uh, I have written is to show that the, the Revelation is in chronological order, and if you just go with what Scripture says and try not to make something else out of it, just take it for what it is, it's a simple book, and it's, exci- it's an exciting book because it's made very clear that God is taking us out of the world before his, his tribulation you know, falls upon, his judgment falls upon this earth, and his judgment is going to be severe. But God's mercy, even in that, is demonstrated in the fact that many, many people get saved during the tribulation. For some people that we're witnessing to, it could be that the tribulation is what will be necessary for them to believe and get saved. In fact, I've shared with you before that I believe that probably the greatest revival this world has ever seen will be during the tribulation. And the reason I stand on that is that there are so many people that become Christians at that time that Satan has to have a way of identifying them and a whole system of putting them to death. He's not going to do that for 20 people. There's going to be a huge revival. And so the book of Revelation, for us, it's a book of hope, you know, in the sense that we're going to be raptured. But for the tribulation saints, it's also going to be a book of hope that there is also redemption for them. It's a great book. So be praying uh, for us. We're, we're, we're mostly through it. We have to do this last editing. And pray for what publisher we go through. I'm not sure which one. So just keep that in prayer. So we are in Leviticus chapter 9, starting with verse 1. We're going to be reading the whole chapter because there's not, you know, a lot of new uh, information here, but there is a message in here that we're going to get into. So Leviticus chapter 9, starting with verse 1, it came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, take for yourself a young bull as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering without blemish and offer them before the Lord. And to the children of Israel you shall speak, saying, Take a kid of the goats as a sin offering, and a calf and a lamb, both of the first year without blemish, as a burnt offering, also a bull and a ram as a peace offering, to sacrifice before the Lord, uh, before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord will appear to you. So they brought what Moses commanded before the tabernacle of meetings, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord commanded you to do, and the glory of the Lord will appear to you. And Moses said to Aaron, Go to the altar, offer your sin offering and your burnt offering, and make atonement for yourself and for the people. Offer the offering for the people and make atonement for them as the Lord commanded. Aaron therefore went to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, uh, which, was be, which was for him. In other words, he's making an offering for himself, Aaron was. Then uh, the sons of Aaron brought the blood to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar and poured the blood at the base of the altar. But the fat, the kidneys, 
and the fatty lobe from the liver uh, of the sin offering he burned on the altar. And the Lord had, as the Lord had commanded Moses, the flesh and the hide he burned with fire outside the camp. And he killed the burnt offering. And Aaron's sons presented to him the blood which he sprinkled all around the altar. Then they presented the burnt offering to him with its pieces and head, and he burned them on the altar. And he washed the entrails and the legs and burned them with burnt offering on the altar. Then he brought the people's offering and took uh, the goat, which was the sin offering for the people, and killed it and offered it for sin, like the first one. And he brought the burnt offering and offered it according uh, to the prescribed manner. Then he brought the grain offering, took a handful of it, and he burned it, burned it on the altar beside the burnt uh, sacrifice of the mor- for the morning. Of the morning, he also killed the bull and the ram as a sacrifice for peace offerings, which were on which were for the people. And Aaron's sons presented to him the blood which he sprinkled all around on the altar and the fat from the bull and the ram and the fatty tail that covers the entrails and the kidneys and the fatty lobe attached to the liver. And they put the fat on the breast. Then he burned the fat on the altar, but the breast and the right thigh Aaron waved as a wave offering before the Lord as Moses had commanded. Then Aaron lifted up his hand toward the people, blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and peace offering. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came down from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Reminds you of Elijah Mount Carmel, doesn't it? So we read this and it's like, wow. What in the world does that mean? (laughs) Well, we have to understand that this is the first time that Aaron and his sons, after their consecration, actually offered sacrifices for the people. This was the very first time. In other words, the mediation of the priesthood had now begun. Now, we have to realize that the mediation is never man reaching up to God. It's God reaching down to man. God established a priesthood for one reason that he might be able to have fellowship with the people. And so the priest was simply a mediator, and he was only doing what God had commanded him to do. And so he would receive the offering as a sacrifice unto the Lord, and the Lord would receive it as a fragrant offering to himself. But the fact is, everything was initiated from the Lord. It's never us initiating it. And that's what happens with religion. So many people, everybody wants to be religious. But all religions except Christianity, which is faith, is based on man somehow reaching up to God. Well, I'm going to have this set of principles I'm going to follow. Well, I'm going to do these activities that I'm going to practice every day. And I'm going to have these chants that I do every day. And I'm going to, and all these kinds of things are man trying to reach up to God. Well, man can't reach up to God. For one thing, God's way higher than he's able to reach both physically and spiritually, but also man has unclean hands. He can't reach up to God. Sin completely separates him. And that's the reason it was God that reached down to man. First, the old covenant by 
offering the sacrificial system that would atone partially or partly for man's sin, that he might have some kind of fellowship with God. And then fully, when he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, as the bloody sacrifice for all of our sin once and for all, that we can have intimate communion you know, with him. So this is the first time then that Aaron's sons, after the consecration, offered this. And um, what's interesting is a lot of times when these kinds of, um, you know, sacrificial, uh, what am I trying to, to, to say, that these sacrificial um, endeavors were set up, it was for one reason, God demonstrating his love. God didn't need to provide some kind of sacrificial system that man could have communion with him and fellowship with him. He didn't need to do that. But out of love, he did. And it's an amazing thing. And notice, this all took place, it tells us, on the eighth day. Well, what's interesting about the eighth day? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Listen to this. This took place on the eighth day. Male children were to be circumcised on the eighth day. Christ rose from the dead on the eighth day. Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection on the eighth day. John had his revelation on the eighth day. And we worship on the eighth day, the first day of the week. The eighth day is a Hebrew idiom for the first day of the week, Sunday. We worship on this day. And so how wonderful it is to have a day that God has given us to rest from the world and to come together in fellowship with one another and with him and to find peace for our souls and, and to just bask in his presence and in his love. What a beautiful thing it is. And to me, it's so sad that, that some people don't realize that it's not some kind of an obligation. You know, this is your holy day of obligation. If you don't come here, then you're, you've committed a mortal sin and you're going to hell. And you better, you know, do this. Or no, no, it's not that. It has to be choice. But the reality is, it should be our choice as believers. I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord, Scripture tells us. We should be excited to come to church. I wish adults were as excited as the children. One of the things that I love is sometimes when I'm standing here in the window and parents pull in and I see their kids running up the ramp. Yeah, yeah. They're excited to get here. Some of the parents are like, yeah. The kids are glad to get here. And... The reason I say that is because obviously there are times that you can't make it to church. You know, there may be certain obligations that happen. There's illness, whatever there is. You're on vacation. There's, there's definitely times you can't. But brothers and sisters, this should be rare. Because the Word of God tells us not to forsake gathering ourselves together. And it even says, as some have grown into the custom of doing. You see, when you have believers that don't make church a priority in their life, it's to their own detriment, it's to their own harm. I'm not saying they lose their salvation. I'm not saying they're not saved. All I'm saying is they're missing out on what they could have. You know, the encouragement of the Word and the fellowship of other believers. And that's the reason that Scripture tells us not to forsake our gathering together. And it tells us that we should even make this a priority all the more as we see that day approaching. And brothers and sisters... That day is approaching. I'm telling you, right now, Jesus could come for his church any moment. And the reality is, 
that if people say, well, you know, ever since the beginning, remember we read this in Peter, even ever since the beginning, people have been saying, you know, where is his coming? Where is his coming? And this and that. But the reality is that there are things that are laid out in Scripture that enable us to know when his, you know, at least the time frame, the season of when he's coming back. In fact, one of the reasons we know is Israel's a nation. On May 14, 1948, Israel became a nation. Jesus could not come back until Israel became a nation because he would eventually be coming back to establish his kingdom in Israel. And all of, all of Revelation, everything we're reading about, is based around Israel. It's based around the Middle East. And so Israel had to be a nation. And the fact is, we're told that that generation would not pass. Well, Israel's 70 years old. And uh, so to me, it seems like we're quite close. And when you recognize just the, the violence of man, and men had become violent on the earth. Remember in Revelation? I mean, in Genesis? That's why God destroyed the earth. And think of the violence of man today. You think of these horrible shootings that we're talking about. And one of the things you don't read much about, Vi and I were reading, uh, do you know how many uh, knife rampage, stabbing rampages there have been? A number of them. See, if people, if people in California, if, if people have that kind of violent heart, it doesn't make any difference whether they have a knife or a gun or a hatchet or whatever. It's violence. Violence is gripping our world. And life, sanctity of life, has lost all of its value, and it goes all the way back to the the, the theory of evolution. It goes all the way back to that because it took away the sanctity of life by saying, hey, man is just some kind of spontaneous creation, which scientifically is the most ludicrous, ignorant thing I have ever read. It makes no sense. The only reason people that are in science accept it and they push it, in fact, you're not going to become tenured in most colleges if you don't believe in the theory of evolution. But the reason they push it is because they're atheistic. And they want to believe it, even though the truth is there before their eyes that there was a creation and there was a creator. But the reality is God is coming back because man has rejected him, because they've rejected their creator. And the fact is that we're seeing the world unraveling, unraveling. Anywhere you look, things are crazy. Well, the Bible says when we see all these things happening, we should lift up our head because our redemption is drawing near. Well, I'll tell you what. You know, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, I can't wait. You don't have to convince me. Now, the first thing Moses commanded Aaron to do was to make atonement for himself, okay? And this demonstrated the imperfection of man, that even the high priest had to make atonement for himself. So anyone who says, you know, you know, sometimes you ask people, you think you're going to heaven? Yeah, why? Well, I'm a good person. I've really never done anything to harm anyone else. I try to do what's right most of the time. I'm a good person. Well, guess what? That's not good enough. (laughs) You have to be perfect. You have to be without sin to go to heaven. So here you have Aaron, the high priest. The first thing he had to do was to make atonement for himself. And that's the reason you and I have a Savior who made full atonement for each one of us, that all of our sin might be forgiven. 
Now, in Romans, in fact, why don't you turn to this? Because it points out the imperfection of man. Some people think, oh, I'm not that bad. Well, turn to Romans chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 23 through 25. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 25. 23 through 26. Romans 3, 23 through 26. Sorry. For all have sinned. And how many is involved in all? How many is counted there in, in all? It's all. There's no one who, who hasn't sinned. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, only in Jesus Christ, no other way, whom God set forth as a propitiation, took our place by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins uh, that were previously committed to to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. There has to be faith in Jesus in order to be justified. Now look, after Aaron made atonement for himself and the people, the first thing he did then was to bless the people. It's an amazing thing. When we confess our sin before the Lord and we accept his sacrifice on our behalf and he consecrates us into the ministry and relationship and fellowship with him, he blesses us. Now we're going to read the ironic blessing that is found in Scripture, the blessing that is being talked about here. But God blesses us in a whole lot more than the ironic blessing. He blesses us every day with his presence you know, with the peace that only he can give. How would we get through the day? How would we get through this life if it wasn't for that knowledge? Boop, boop, boop. Somebody has a computer on. Anyway, um, here's the point I'm getting at. As you, get, as you get older, you realize life is not eternal. This physical life isn't eternal. And, you know, it's very different. You know, when you're a kid, it's like, doo, doo, doo. when you get older, the very first workout you have is getting out of bed. You know, you kind of get there and you're like, eh, 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 eh. you know, you stand up, well, get the back creaked out, and your knees have to straighten up, and you got to, you know, the first few steps. <laughs> I used to laugh at my grandfather, now I am him. And, you know, and your first few steps, you know, then finally you get through, you're walking. And then after you get loosened up, you try to go. Man, I'm cool. I, I feel as good as I did when I was young. Well, no, you don't. <laughs> you're aging, you're getting older, things are a lot different. And what it points to, at least it should, for every one of us, this life is temporary. And if there were no hope after this life, we're of all men most pitiful, it tells us in Corinthians. What a horrible thing it would be. You just live and then you die and that's it. If that were the case, if you just lived and just died and there was no consequences, there was nothing after this death, do whatever you want. Eat, drink, and be merry. Do whatever you want. You know, get all the gusto you can. Remember that one commercial, Out of Life? Do all that then. But the reality is there is something after this life. There is an eternal relationship in the presence of God 
and we'll be we. You'll, you'll be known and, 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 and know others as well. We're going to have self-identity in heaven. You're not going to get up to heaven and say, <coughs> who am I? <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry, who am I? I know I'm somebody. You're going to know who you are. You know, I'm going to be Frank Thomas worshiping the Lord. You've got to know who I am. I'm going to know who you are. Hey, isn't this awesome, brothers and sisters? They, and you guys will be saying, yeah, because you're not preaching. It's going to be... <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. So we have to realize that that is our hope. That is our promise, the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <coughs> and it's going to be soon. Are we ready? Anyway, this was the ironic... Um, uh, Aaron's blessing of the people, and this is found in Numbers, if you take notes, Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 26. And tell Aaron his sons, his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. What a blessing. That's our blessing as well. <clears throat> Now, one of the things that's mentioned in this portion as well is there was a sin offering, a burnt offering, a meat offering, and a peace offering. And they were made to God that his glory might appear to the whole congregation. And this was to make atonement for sin and to engage him to have relationship and communion and fellowship with us. That's when his glory appeared. And the reality is, it's our forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. It's our worship of him by the Holy Spirit and, and being in his presence that we see and his presence manifested, maybe not in a physical sense as, as this, but in a spiritual sense. And what a wonderful thing it is. If you've never had those glory times alone with the Lord, you're missing out. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying you're, you're not going to heaven. I'm not saying you won't, you won't go in the rapture. I'm just saying you're missing out. If you've never had those times that you're before the Lord and you just like, oh, Jesus, God. I mean, you're just out of your mind being blessed by the Lord, feeling his presence. And, of course, that's what happened to the people. Because think about this. The first complete series of offerings made by the high priest we find are um, appointed in a certain order. First offering was a sin offering to make atonement. The first thing that has to happen is there has to be a sin offering for atonement. Our sin offering is Jesus Christ for the atonement of sin. Then you had the burnt offering to signify the surrender of the body, soul, and spirit to Yahweh in heaven. And that's our dying to ourselves. He died for us to make atonement. Now we die to ourselves as committing ourselves to God, you know, as, a, as a, you know, being, being our surrender of the body. Jesus Christ. And um, third, there's the peace offering to show our communion and fellowship with the Lord. Because once you've been atoned for, you surrendered your body and soul to Jesus Christ to love him and to worship him, then all of a sudden the peace of Christ that passes all understanding flows over you. And that is the only peace that we can have. You know, the peace this world offers is temporary. And it's really no peace at all. But the peace God offers is beyond what this world can offer. You know, um, I think sometimes we really miss out on understanding what it really means 
to have peace with God and to surrender ourselves to him. Because it's so easy for us to have more of a desire uh, to love others, people, and to love situations and more than God. You know what I'm saying? If I don't love God more than I love my wife, I'm going to have a problem. Because if I don't love God more than I love Vi, Vi becomes my God. You follow what I'm saying? The same with all of you. If you don't love God more than you love your job, if you don't love God more than you love your recreation, if you don't love God more than you love your children, then whatever that is becomes your God. There's only one God, Yahweh. He's the only one worthy of all praise, glory, honor, and adoration. And he alone should receive it from us. And then next it tells us Moses goes into the tabernacle with Aaron, and it's assumed that probably he was teaching Aaron the meaning of the, can- of the menorah, the meaning of the table of showbread, the meaning of the altar of incense, and how to, to actually minister before these um, instruments. We think that's probably what he was doing. And this was, of course, well-pleasing to the Lord because after that he manifested his presence. And his glory appeared to all the people. And the reason I bring this up, because it's not a matter of our situation or how we are in our relationship with God. He appeared to all the people. Some people might be thinking, oh, I'm just in a bad way. I've been bummed, and I'm not where I should be, and I'm not doing what I should be. I'm dealing with this sin in my life and all this kind of stuff. When the Lord manifests his presence, you're going to be there as well. He appeared to all the people not just to the ones that were maybe in a real active contrition before the Lord. He appeared to all the people. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he will appear to you anytime you cry out to him because he loves you. And when the rapture comes, you're going to go. Well, what if I'm in a bar drinking a beer? Well, somebody else is going to have to pay for it. <laughs> you know, you're gone. You're going to be out of here. And so... The point I'm getting at is that's the mercy and love of God. You, belong, you are his. He's redeemed you. You're going to be with him on that day. Now, how discouraged and concerned we should be if one had to achieve to a certain level before we had this assurance. Wouldn't that be horrible? Well, I'm saved, but I have to go through the 10-step program before I can be sure I'm going to heaven. No, no, no. When you're saved, you've just walked through the door, right? Jesus is the door, and we enter through. When you're saved, you just walk through the door. But guess what? You've walked through the door. You're inside. You're going to go when Jesus comes. But the fact is, if you invited someone to your house in order to have a dinner with them, and you opened the door, and they walked in the door, and you shut the door behind them, and uh, you said, well, come on into the, uh, into the dining room. And they go, I'm okay. Well, what are you going to do? Just stand at the door there? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm inside. You know, it's cold out there. I'm warm. And that's the point. You're saved. You've walked in the door. But Jesus wants you to have fellowship with him. He wants you to have, you know, dinner with him. And so it's important for us to not stay just inside the door, but to move on in our relationship with God. Because the glory of the Lord, as I mentioned, appears to all. And when all the people saw the glory of God, they shouted and they fell on their faces. 
I believe that in his presence, we can do nothing but um, prostrate ourselves before the Lord. Nothing but prostrate ourselves before the Lord. Because when we're in his presence, two things. We see who he is, and we see who we are. You know what I'm saying? When you see the holiness and the majesty of God, you recognize all the debaseness of your own heart and soul. But then that turns around and makes us extremely thankful. So we fall on our faces just worshiping God. Thank you, God, for forgiving me, a sinner. Thank you for blessing me, a sinner, Lord. How wonderful that is. Now, to us, of course, the fire that came and consumed the sacrifice we have in the coming of the Holy Spirit. In fact, we have um, two prophecies. Um, and We have one prophecy we're going to look at and then the actual coming of the Holy Spirit and fire. And if you want to turn to Matthew 3.11, Matthew 3.11, first book of the New Testament, chapter 3, verse 11. And this is when John the Baptist was in the wilderness preparing the way of the Lord, and he was baptizing uh, Jewish people, baptizing them into faith. And John in uh, the Baptist in chapter 3, verse 11 says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and look, and with fire. Then if you go to Acts, that's right after John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 2 and verse 3. I'm going to read verses 3 and 4. Acts chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. Glaciela, that's languages to be understood. As the Spirit gave them utterance. So, there's a promise that John the Baptist made that someone would baptize them with fire. And we have the fulfillment in Acts. Remember, the Lord said, wait until the Comforter comes to you. And we are to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. And here's what we have to understand. We, we have uh, so many accounts in the Bible that point to this. But the fact is, if you take a candle, and there's no oil, if it's an oil-based candle, you know, an oil lamp, and you light the wick, and there's no oil in it, the wick's going to burn for a little while, it's going to stink, smoke, and burn out, and there's nothing left. But if the oil lamp is filled with good, fresh oil, and it runs up the wick, you light it, and it's going to burn and burn and burn. Why? Because it's actually burning the fumes of the oil. It's not burning the wick. Well, God wants us to be flames of fire for him. But it's not by our own effort. We're not a wick of our own. You know, We have to be submersed into the oil of the Holy Spirit. We have to be filled with the Spirit of Almighty God, and we have to be operating in the Spirit. And as we operate in the Spirit of God, then the light of God shines forth from us, and we're able to take that light wherever we go. Our responsibility isn't to force people to accept the light. Our responsibility is to take the light to the people. You understand? 
And so when you read these portions in Leviticus, you know, we have more to go. Look and see what you, what you can dig out of it. Find those golden nuggets that are found in those pages and how they apply to your life. And it'll be a real blessing. It will. Father, thank you so much for this body of believers, and I pray that you would bless um, these portions that we've studied to our understanding, that we might be encouraged in you. And I pray, Father, that we would leave this place just burning in the power of the Holy Spirit to set this world on fire for you. Use us, Lord, to minister, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, my friends.